and welcome to episode 77 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Caitlin Griffin. Ali Dwyer. Matt. Lauren Hartford. Louise Webb. Marie Crawford. Nope. Marcy Crawford. <laughs> Jen Mather. Kelly Hockaday. Sharon Durrant. Danielle Pomeroy. Maria. Ethan Casper. Rad Freitag. Um, Olivia. Sarah or Sarah Scarberry. Janelle Rivera. Pam Hardcastle. Amy Gigliotti. Not bad. I liked the laxid you put on there as well. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Terry. It's Ashling. Ashling Dunn. Serica DeMarco. Cherry Duffy. Cherry Sherry Duffy. And Anna Sophia Nutson. I'm sorry, Ooh, not guys. great today, was I'm it? Sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, Marcy, I, I, I just, that's just me being blind. I just couldn't read that. But the other two, I'm really, I'm sorry about not pronouncing your name properly. Yeah. Well, listen, we do our best. It's become a running joke now, the fact that we can never pronounce people's names. <laughs> it's embarrassing, really, but there we go. And I just want to, uh, I just want to give a, a double shout out to Ethan Casper. And that's from us, because we love you. And also from your mum. We've got some key workers that we need to shout out to. We have indeed. So we've been doing this recently where we've just been giving all our love and best wishes and all that jazz to all you people that are keeping us all going in these strange times. Um, so we've got some shout outs today just to hopefully give you a bit of lift with what you're doing. So the first one is Leslie. So we'd like to say a big thank you to you. And that's from your daughter, Natalie, as well. We'd also like to thank Jin Yang, who is a paramedic from Vancouver. And we'd also like to thank Charlie from Texas, who is a nurse, and that is from Chelsea, as well as all of us. Thank you guys so much for everything you do. It's really appreciated. Yeah, we love you, and we appreciate that you're putting yourself on the front line every single day. We've got a promo this week. We have. Woo! I'm trying to do more and more promos, because everybody's got a bit of free time. People getting creative. We love so it. people are creating, but also people are looking for new content. So we, we're sticking with the history theme this week. Dan, you are a history nerd. I am. And our friend Ollie. Ollie has been a long-time listener of the podcast. And he has started a podcast called The History Emporium and Pals Podcast. And I'm pretty certain by the time you hear this promo, he will have more episodes in his back catalogue than we have because he is He's smashing a it out. It's really <laughs> impressive. Like, really impressive. Dan, how would you describe the history emporium and pals? I think if you um, enjoy history but struggled with it at school, this is a podcast to listen to because it is hits that interest in history but has a bit of fun with it. Yeah, so it's it's different historical figures and times in history and historical places that are interesting. So we're going to play the promo. Make sure that you go and follow and listen to the history emporium and pals podcast. I have a feeling, my dear, you're going to enjoy this quite a lot. Hello, and welcome to the new History Emporium and Powers podcast. It's a mouthful, I know. Each episode will consist of a historical place, person or general theme related to my love of all things history. I'll be joined by my pals for an informal, non-stuffy chat on a different topic each week. So join me and my pals, let's have a laugh and learn something new along the way. The History Emporium and Powers podcast. Subscribe now. One must not get one's knickers in a twist. 
So that was the History Emporium and Pals. Make sure that you go give it a listen. Check it out. And our film review this week. Is? Our film review is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was released in 2019. It has 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Why, yes, please. The shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large in the small town of Mill Valley for generations. It's in a mansion that young Sarah Bellows turns her tortured life and horrible secrets into a series of scary stories. These terrifying tales soon have a way of becoming all too real for a group of unsuspecting teens who stumble upon Sarah's spooky home. What were your thoughts on this film? Do you know what? I thought it was a really good kids film without being detrimental like yeah i agree scary kids film that's what it was it was aimed at that sort of pre-teen market i think but it's probably not because it's a 15 i think isn't it i want to (laughs) start a petition to stop people from lying in the synopsis of films because they didn't stumble upon her home they purposefully went to her home actually i'll hear that and i'll raise you up they didn't purposely go to it they purposely broke into it they broke into it and they stole her fucking book yeah so it's her it's their fault their fault all this happened they broke into her home they stole her book they didn't stumble upon anything they stole her book so that that annoys me we don't support crime on this podcast do you know what i really appreciated about this what is that they showed you things you know how we always complain about when they reveal things it takes away from it a little bit just felt like the effects in this film were good. And actually them showing things didn't ruin it at all. Because it was really fun. Yeah, it was fun. It wasn't... I don't think it's a scary film. I think if you're looking for a film to get really freaked out by, this is not the one for you, honey. No, no, no. This is a film that is definitely for like younger teenagers. Yeah. Like 12, 13 years old with your friends. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a 15. But it's it, probably because it has gross out horror. Yeah. That's why. Like there's a lot of... I'm, I'm not a big fan of gore. Not at all. I don't think it's necessary in a lot of films in the way they do it. But in this film, it's kind of... It wasn't gory. No, it was kind of a bit gross at yeah. times. But actually, the the whole film is centred around those gross urban legends that you hear when you're a kid. Yeah. And I was while I was watching this film, I was thinking about all the different variations of stories that we had heard growing up like there's a bit with a girl with spiders and I remember when I was a kid hearing a story of a a woman so like a friend of a friend came back from holidays and she had like a cut on her face and then it she realized the cut was moving and a spider had laid eggs in her face and they all came out of her mouth and all those urban legends are things that people hear variations of all over the world and I love these nostalgic horror films and I think it's just just really good that's that's what I want to say. Yeah. Like, it's just really good. There are, cre- I think, there's a creep factor to it. Oh, like the 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 pale woman in the corridor yeah. in the red yeah, corridor. It is creepy. It's not. I wouldn't say it was necessarily scary, but it is creepy. And I just really enjoyed it. Like I, I just felt like I was watching, you know, like six p.m. kids TV, which is re- it was but, like Goosebumps. Yeah. Well. It, yeah. But it was it was a slightly more amped up level of Goosebumps. I think because the Goosebumps movies, as much as much as I like them, are pretty but do you remember the tv show of goosebumps yeah yeah it's a bit like that i guess yeah um it's beautiful to look at Guillermo del toro is just wonderful and the particular scene where a guy is getting chased by a pale-faced lady 
the lighting and the way that it's shot is just wonderful. And the one thing that I really appreciated this, without giving too much as away, it's not really a resolution. No. And it's quite nice. Makes a change. No, there isn't. Which is, I mean, I just, I just feel like it's, it's definitely not a horror film. Like it's not something to watch if you're wanting to get freaked out. But it's, it's enjoyable. It's fun to watch. It's a creepy adventure film. That's what it is. Yes, it is. It's an adventure movie. It's a, it's a teenage adventure movie. That's what it is. I don't know really what more to say about it. Like the monsters are good. I think the fact that we're saying it's a kids' film is not in any way a detriment to the film is still easily watchable as an adult. I think yeah. it's just that's what it's pitched at. So I don't want you to think that because we keep going, oh, it's kids, like this, looks like this TV show, that it's like a negative thing. You can still sit down and enjoy it as an adult. And full disclosure as well, I know a lot of people like are, are really nostalgic about the stories of scary stories to tell in the dark, but I never read it. Like, I don't know anything about the book. I, so I was coming at this completely blind. And there's always a difficulty with that, isn't there? But when you love something, when something is so nostalgic for you and then it's recreated on the big screen, it often doesn't meet the mark that you think it's going to meet. It's like, I, I don't like the Harry Potter films for that reason. I can objectively recognise that they're good films. But for me personally, I loved Harry Potter so much that when it was on screen, I was like, well, that's not what I wanted it to look like. Why did nobody consult me? There are moments in this film that suffer from the same thing Harry Potter does where it's too dark yes. for home watching. Unless you've got like a blackout room or a home, or a home cinema, which I'm sure some of you have. There we are do moments. not. We do not. <laughs> um, so there might, I think there's some issues with that. But that is the only thing I think is a great film. I agree. What would you give it out of five? Five. You're giving it a five? Mm. So I, I think for what is it, for its intended purposes, does exactly what it should be doing. Wow. Big hitting today. I'm going to give it a four. What's your justification? I don't know. Okay. Don't really have one. Not really that bothered about having a just. I'm just giving it a four. It feels like a four to me. Okay. Feels like a four. See, so James, you messaged me and said that you didn't think Emma would like it. I did. I like a good adventure movie. She does. She did. She enjoyed it. I like it. I like a good adventure movie. Like I liked when we watched it. I felt the same way about it. I didn't find it scary. I found it an adventure film. I feel like I would put these films in the same bracket. It had more jump scares. Yes, that's true. Which was which obviously affect me. Yeah, massively. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, great, great film. So it got me to thinking about this week's episode. Okay. And we all have urban legends from our hometown, from our area that you grow up hearing. Did you have urban legends when you were a kid? No. Great, you just ruined my whole premise for this Sorry. episode. I mean, I, I know, we know, like I know urban legends, but they were more generic things. There wasn't really... Yeah, so you might not necessarily have them from your local area, but they would be, you would have generic urban legends, like the story of the escaped lunatic from the asylum, and they she hears the knocking on the, on the car roof, and it's her husband's head. And like all of those stories are passed, literally passed down from generation to generation of kids. And it is that scary stories to tell in the dark thing. I'm pretty sure the hitchhiking woman... Love and legend transcends continents. So the same woman has been seen hitchhiking across the world. <laughs> it's mad that you should say that. Okay. Because today we are focusing on a Kentish urban legend. Okay. And how that has been translated into across the water urban legends and people's real experiences of these urban legends. Talking them into existence. Let's go. So our first story actually comes from our local newspaper, which is Kent Online. Wow. I know. Very exciting. And it is the story of Bluebell Hill. 
Are you ready? Never ready. On November the 19th, Susan Brown and her two friends tragically died in a car crash. The 22-year-old was returning from her hen night when her Ford Cortina spun out of control on the A229 colliding with a Jaguar heading the other way. Susan was due to marry RAF technician Brian Wetton the following day. Despite a common belief that she died on the road, it was actually her friend Patricia Ferguson who passed away there. Miss Brown and Judith Lingham died a few days later in Maidstone Hospital. But the tragedy has also left a mysterious legacy, with unexplained visions being reported throughout the 1960s and 70s at the site. Although ghostly sightings there are said to date back even further to the 1930s. For the 50th anniversary of the crash, a number of spiritual believers gathered outside the Lower Bell pub nearby. A 39-year-old from Rochester said, I think it frightens people way too much to talk about it, but there are still things going on up there. When it was the 50th anniversary, the paranormal teams picked up some weird stuff. They had this device that meant you could hear the ghosts and it picked up some voices, screaming and shouting for help. I just think the whole place is tragic and there is such a bad feeling there. Miss Roseman filmed shots for her movie along the road and carried out extensive research into the history of the area. She added, there has been a motorcycle crash just days before filming, so it's still going on these days. There were a lot of people who didn't want me to make the film because they were worried something would happen to me. When I was researching it, I put the pictures up in my kitchen and just days later my flat burnt down, but the pictures weren't destroyed. I thought, I just have to make this film. The road is just really eerie. It's nasty. The whole place has a bad karma about it. Every time I go down there I have to pinch myself and will nothing to happen. In 1962, Bob Van said he gave a lift to a girl on the hill only to later turn around and discover the hitchhiker had vanished in the back of the car. And in 1971, James Skeen was driving home from work when a girl in her early 20s suddenly appeared in front of his car. He gave her a lift to Chatham, but when she got out, she disappeared. There have also been stories of a girl who stares into the eyes of drivers as she steps out into the road, unable to stop cars crashing into her. But when a driver checks to see if she is okay, she is vanished. In the early hours of the 13th of July 1974, Maurice Goodenough, a bricklayer from Rochester, was driving through Bluebell Hill when a young girl jumped in front of his car. The girl just walked out in front of me from the edge of the road, he said. My car hit her with a hell of a bang. He jumped out of his car to tend to the girl who he found lying in the road with a cut to her forehead and grazes on her knees. He covered her with a blanket and tried to wave down passers-by but no one would stop. He thought it would be unwise to try and move her into his car so he rushed off to Rochester Police Station to report what had happened. They returned to the scene to find nothing but the blanket good enough had placed over her. A search was called in a nearby area, but there was no success. The search resumed at dawn with tracker dogs, but no scent, tracks or blood could be found. A check on hospital admissions as well as newspaper appeals for the missing girl were carried out, but nobody stepped forward. Goodenough was interviewed by the News of the World that Saturday night and was obviously still shaken and adamant that he had, in fact, hit a girl. 
I'm not going mad, he said. But where did she vanish to? I'm still shaking from the experience. The press jumped to the assumption that the girl must have been a ghost. Their research about the incident in 1965, as well as the legend of the hitchhiking ghost, resulted in the conclusion that the girl must have been a ghost. The fact that it was a girl, her appearance in the vicinity of the 1965 crash, her vanishing after the incident, and the fact that Goodenough's car wasn't damaged, all pointed to this conclusion. It was late one Sunday evening in November 1992, when Ian Sharp, a 54-year-old coach driver, was on his way home to Maidstone, when a young woman appeared directly in front of his vehicle, near the Aylesford southbound turn-off of the A229 at Bluebell Hill. The woman strangely stared right into his eyes before he hit her, with the body going under the bonnet. Horrified, he slammed on his brakes and jumped out to help the woman. I honestly thought I'd killed her, he said. You can't imagine how it felt. I was so scared to look underneath, but I knelt down and looked straight through. There was nothing there. He then looked around the vehicle and at the side of the road, but found no one. So sure he was of hitting the woman, he went to the police station at Rochester to tell them about the incident. Aware of this area and its reports, the police went on to explain the legend that surrounds the area. Nevertheless, the police returned with him to the scene. And sure enough, the search proved fruitless. Ian Sharp later described it as the most terrifying experience of his life. Also, later that month and year, two motorists reported hitting a woman wearing a red scarf near the Robin Hood Lane junction at Bluebell Hill. They searched and informed the police, but yet again, nobody was ever found. So, I hate both the ways into Maidstone. For different reasons. <laughs> Not because they're creepy, just because there's always loads of traffic. Those stories are fascinating. I cannot think of anything more horrifying than thinking you've hit someone. I can't even. Once in my life, I hit a fox. It ran out in front of my car when I was driving home one night. And I was so upset that I just hysterically laughed while crying. Like, not in a, this is really funny, but I just got such a shock. I'm clearly one of these people who laughs at inappropriate times. And I actually, like, the sickness I felt in my stomach, I thought I was going to vomit. And that was just from hitting a fox. Yeah. Imagine, oh, I can't even imagine how it would feel to think you've hit a human being. And then to try and manage that emotion and then not be able to find the person that you know you've hit. I'm probably not going to drive down Bluebell Hill now. I'll just use Detlin Hill, go out the other way. Yeah, just do that. Yeah. Also, feel it's quite dangerous. <laughs> For the police to just be going, oh, there's a legend around there. Yeah, which makes me think that <laughs> the likelihood is is that these stories are what they called they call them foafs in what? like psychological circles, Fwaf. like friend of a friend stories. Uh-huh. If we went to the police and said, hey, can we, you know, see if there's any, have a look at the long, apparently long list of reports of people being run over on Bluebell Hill. Is it likely that they will exist? I'm not entirely sure. Because there's no way the police would go, yeah, don't worry about it. People get hit on that road all the time. It's not real. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a hallucination. And then you've actually ploughed through someone. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen. I mean, there probably is a long list of people that have actually, unfortunately, been run over on that road because it is dangerous. Yeah, it's creepy, isn't it? I I don't like the idea of that part of the story that said that she looks the driver in the eye and then steps out in front of him. Oh, you'd, you'd shit yourself. Yeah, it's just that 
I know what I'm doing, isn't it? It's that glance and I know, you know, I'm looking at you. It's not a subconscious. I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, people forget to look when they're crossing the road. That's different, isn't it? Yeah. But if you're looking at the oncoming traffic and then you step out and then disappear. <laughs> but it also doesn't work with the narrative. No, it doesn't. Like she was in a car accident and they often in this story, people talk about how she's wearing a wedding dress in the story. And actually she's not the one who died on the roadside. I mean, it's awful. These three girls absolutely did die in a car yeah. accident, which is terrible. But it makes me wonder if the, the tragedy of the situation, like the fact that this young woman was due to be married the next day, I mean, that is awful. And there's a mix of stories as well, because there's the, there's the woman that jumps out in front of your car, but then there was also a hitchhiker story thrown in there for good luck, I think. Yeah, where she disappears when you good arrive wherever yeah. your destination is. So I just think that the, the Phantom Hitchhiker story just has such, like, longevity you know, and, and actually I was doing some research about it and they talked about how Phantom Hitchhiker stories literally go back to the Bible. I, I will say something at this point before we go any further. If you try and debunk this by telling me it's an owl or a primate, I will be very disappointed. I actually think that it is um, an owl primate hybrid wearing a dress. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's, Lesser that's slightly spotted. More, that's more acceptable to be fair. <laughs> no, I don't. I think, this, I think these stories are just ingrained in human psyche. I think it's like, you know, they, they literally date back to the Bible. There's a, like a phantom hitchhiker story in the Bible and they generally have like classifications of phantom hitchhikers and people have written books about the phenomenon and how these, you know, urban legends are so powerful in society. I've got a little theory. Yes. These happen at night, right? Could this be a case of nodding at the wheel, slamming your brakes on, getting out of your car and then bravado kicking in and adding the extra detail of a ghostly body lying on the side of the road? <laughs> I don't know if you'd if you'd go to that effort, would you? I mean, I've been very lucky in that I've never had that experience of mm. nodding off behind the wheel. Well, so I, I don't know. Like, I know you've told me about <laughs> you've had the experience and it's awful. Yeah. I've never had it, fortunately. So. I mean, it wakes you up, but that's not a reason to do it. No. <laughs> but what, what I was saying earlier was that this kind of transcends cultural boundaries, this yeah. story of the Phantom Hitchhiker. So I've got another story for you about Resurrection Mary. Oh, I don't think, sorry, just to clarify, I don't yes. think the hitchhiker story is about nodding off. I think the hitting something is a nodding off thing because it's that, you know, oh, yeah. that full reaction as well when you're nodding off. It's that yes. kind of, I don't, the hitchhiker one is just weird, but it is that kind of urban legendy. So Resurrection Mary, and this comes from the Chicago Reader. Ghost Adventures do something about her. Potentially. Mm. And I have a real life listener story about Resurrection Mary no as well. No way. Yes, I do. Oh, wow. This comes from the Chicago Reader, but they took it from a book called Folk Tales and Legends of the Middle West by a man called Edward McClelland. Are you ready? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the listener story, but I'm not really ready for it. Just southwest of Chicago, on Archer Avenue in Justice, Illinois, across the street from Resurrection Cemetery, is a bar called Chet's Melody Lounge. Chet is a classic roadside tavern with a pool table, a jukebox, a popcorn machine and a large clientele of bikers. But Chet's has an unusual tradition. Every Sunday, the staff leave a Bloody Mary at the end of the bar for a ghost. The ghost's name is Resurrection Mary and she has haunted this stretch of Archer since the 1930s when she picked up young men dancing to the big hands at the O. Henry Ballroom. 
An old Southsider named Vince was still telling his Resurrection Mary story to paranormal investigators half a century after it happened. When he did, he sounded just as haunted as he'd been the night that he met the ghost. Before he went out dancing that evening, Vince put on his favourite suit, a double-breasted grey number with squared-off shoulders and his most colourful tie, red with Hawaiian hula girls in grass skirts. He cruised Archer Avenue with the top down on his Chevy. The night was warm and he'd slicked back his hair with enough brill cream to keep the wind from messing it up. The O. Henry Ballroom was going to be jumping, as it always was on Saturdays. Vince had danced to some of the biggest of the big bands there. Harry James, Artie Shaw, Tommy Dorsey. Tonight was just Chet Barsutis and his Merry Men from the southwest side of Chicago. But even the local combos knew all the hot numbers on the hit parade. Inside the ballroom, Vince spent the first half hour downing enough Cuba Libres and smoking enough Lucky Strikes to work up the courage to ask a girl for a dance. By the time the band got started on jumping at the woodside, he was in a bold state of mind. Spotting a pretty blonde girl in a white dress, he said, as casually as he could manage, Hey, it ain't right to stand still for a Count Basie. Why don't we cut a rug on this one? The girl smiled, and they joined the jitterbugging throng on the parquet floor. The band played a few more fast numbers, Boogie Woogie and Jeepers Creepers, so Vince didn't get a chance to talk to his partner. That he didn't mind too much. Sometimes girls asked what he did for a living. He was a bookkeeper at the Union Stockyards. Even though he didn't work anywhere near the slaughterhouse, that gave some girls the willies. When the band segued into begin the beguine, Vince was finally able to get close to his partner. Her name was Mary, and she lived, she said, on Damon Avenue, in the Brighton Park neighbourhood. That wasn't far from where Vince lived in the house he shared with his parents. Something else he didn't like to tell girls. As they slow danced, he noticed for the first time that the girl's hands were cold. Her skin was brittle. Mary seemed to notice that he noticed it, so he made what he hoped was a light-hearted remark. Cold hands mean you have a warm heart. Mary smiled, and they danced together for the rest of the evening. After the final number, Vince offered Mary a ride home. Her place was just straight shot up Archer. But after they had driven north for a few miles, Mary insisted he pull the car over outside the locked gates of Resurrection Cemetery, the graveyard of Chicago's Polish community. Vince was baffled, but he complied. Mary opened the door and stepped out onto the roadside. I have to go. And you can't follow me, she said. Then she walked towards the gates, laid a hand on the iron chain that bound the gates together, and vanished. Vince spent the rest of his night driving his Chevy up and down Archer Avenue looking for a blonde girl in a white dress. He drove until dawn, and then when the cemetery gates opened, he drove through the rows of tombstones engraved with crosses and angels. He was impelled not simply by the mystery of having seen a ghost, but by the hope that the girl he had danced with was not a ghost, 
that he could dance with her again on some future night. Catching no sight of Mary, he decided finally to drive to the address she had given him before they got into his car. It was a brick bungalow on a street of nearly identical houses, separated by concrete gangways a few feet wide. Only the adornments on the porches and in the yards, an American flag, a statue of the Virgin in a half bathtub differentiated the dwellings. Vince rang the doorbell. His eyes were red with sleeplessness. His dark beard had not been shaven for a day and his hair had fallen loose over his forehead. The middle-aged woman who answered the door looked startled by the young caller's dishevelment. She looked even more startled when Vince asked, Is Mary home? Mary doesn't live here anymore, said the woman, who looked old enough and enough like Mary to be her mother. Mary died in a car accident four years ago. Who are you? I knew Mary in high school, Vince lied. It was the only plausible story for why he had been unaware of her death. And you didn't know? I went to college downstate after I graduated, he said. That much was true. He had attended Illinois State University in Normal. I'd just moved back to Chicago. Looking past the woman, who was still blocking the doorway, Vince spied a framed photo resting atop a piano in the front room. It was the girl he had danced with the night before. An ever-youthful face, never to age. The face of a ghost. I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you, the woman said. Mary went out dancing with some boys she worked with at Brax. But they never made it to the dance hall. One of the boys crashed the car into the wall at Wacker and Lake. Mary was thrown through the windshield and died on the way to the hospital. I'm sorry to hear that, Vince said, retreating down the steps. I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, if you want to visit Mary's grave, the woman added, she's buried in Resurrection Cemetery. Vince never returned to the O'Henry Ballroom, or to Resurrection Cemetery. He had never learned Mary's last name, so he could not have located her tombstone. In fact, he was so shaken by having danced with a ghost that he never set foot in a dance hall again. But Resurrection Mary, as the girl's ghost came to be known, continued to haunt Archer Avenue. When the big band era ended after the war, Mary rested quietly in her grave because the music she had hoped to dance to on her final night among the living was no longer heard at the O'Henry. But in the 1970s, her ghost rose again. Mary's family, not being wealthy, had buried her in a term grave, a rented plot that only holds remains for a quarter of a century. By the time the term expired, all of Mary's loved ones had joined her in the cemetery, leaving no one alive to renew it. During a renovation, Mary's coffin was removed to an unmarked grave in a remote corner of the cemetery. One night, a suburban police officer received a report of a woman in a white dress walking through the grounds of Resurrection Cemetery. When he arrived at the gates, he found two bars prized apart, with scorch marks where a pair of hands would have gripped them. The following year, a couple driving down Archer Avenue saw a girl, wearing the same white dress, lying in the street. The man at the wheel swerved to avoid her, 
but she disappeared before his tyres could make contact. In the 1990s, the owner of Chet's Melody Lounge was pulling out of the driveway when he saw a man running up the road, waving desperately. I need to use your phone, the man said in a stricken voice. I hit a woman and I, and I can't find her body. Was she a blonde woman in a white dress? The owner asked. How did you know? That was Resurrection Mary. Don't worry. You didn't hit anybody, but you did see a ghost. Despite these reappearances on Archer Avenue, Mary has yet to drink her Bloody Mary at Chet's. When a ghost is roaming your neighbourhood, though, you have to be ready to soothe her restless spirit. Okay. In a very similar way to the Bluebell Hill thing. If you are blonde, please don't wear a white dress around Archer Avenue because if you get hit by a car, no one's going to believe you're real. People are going to be like, oh, Resurrection Mary, <laughs> while you're mangled. Yeah. So just, Desperately being like, no, really, I need help. If you're in that area, you're around Archer Avenue and you happen to be blonde, choose a different coloured dress, please, because otherwise, if you do happen to be unfortunate enough to get hit by a car um, or even walk into a, bar, uh, into a bar and ask for a Bloody Mary, people aren't going to serve you. It's just not going to happen. So... Just just beware. Um, I love this legend. I think it's just fascinating. Just enough detail to be intriguing without the key bits to actually be able to trace it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, who needs key bits to be able to trace it when you've got a good urban legend? <laughs> and also, the, the mother, I just, I can't imagine, I mean, knocking on the door of the mother of someone that's lost their child who's clearly distraught, is still quite fresh in their memory. I just can't imagine her going into that much detail about her daughter's death with a stranger. No, I can't imagine it either, but it makes a good story, <laughs> it doesn't it? It makes a good story. So are you ready for a real listener story? See, I, no, I think, I just want to, before we go into it, because I don't, I just want to say this before the listener story says something different. Um, I think there's enough about this to, to be some kind of weight to it. But all, it, I mean, they do exist all over the world that doesn't, phantom hitchhiker stories yeah but just because they exist in legend doesn't mean that there's not some element of truth to some of them right well that's the whole argument about urban legends isn't it like they yeah. come from somewhere there's yeah. some element of truth to it yeah so i'm thinking about that one where the dog's dead in the kitchen and but she doesn't know and the intruder licks her hand i hate that story oh that story is awful <laughs> I hope there's no element of truth to that <laughs> I was going to do a, an episode on urban legends and then Ariel happened to send me in a story about Resurrection Mary. So I was like, okay, this is going to work. This is going to work. So I'm going to read you Ariel's story. Okay. Are you ready? Never. Not at all. When it comes to listeners, it just makes it worse. My grandfather is from Illinois and he grew up in the Chicagoland area between two major haunted locations, Bachelor's Grove Cemetery and Resurrection Cemetery. Bachelor's Grove is thought to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the world. Resurrection Cemetery is the home of Resurrection Mary. She is said to be the origin of the missing hitchhiker stories. You know the ones where a young woman has a fight with her boyfriend and was killed by a car while hitchhiking and now she's a hitchhiking ghost and disappears just before or just after reaching her destination. Mary is said to have died in the 1930s and my grandfather was born in 1929. My grandfather is a serious man, and an honest man, so I believe the stories he tells me. 
My grandfather claims that as a child, he would walk to school with Mary. Each morning, he would walk to school along Roberts Road, which runs beside Resurrection Cemetery. As my grandfather and the other children would come to the corner where the cemetery started, Mary would meet them there. She'd follow along with the group until they came to the opposite end of the cemetery. There, they would cross the street and continue on to school, leaving Mary behind. My grandfather claims she had no feet, but would float along beside them. He also claims to have talked to her, but not with their mouths, in their heads. He says that she never spoke a word, but you could hear her speak in your head, and you could talk to her that way. She is said to be polite, and always told the children to have a good day as they parted ways and headed off to school. As this was in the 40s, my grandfather dropped out of school after the 5th grade and started working. Even though my grandfather was no longer in school, Mary would still walk with him whenever he walked down Roberts Road alongside the cemetery. He says by this time they didn't speak much, but just walked in silence until she told him goodbye at the corner. Also along Roberts Road was a dance hall. I'm not sure if it's the same one that it was in Mary's legendary story. As a teenager, my grandfather and his friends would go out dancing and try to pick up girls. My grandfather said that one night he saved a girl from her abusive boyfriend and walked the girl home along Robert's Road. He claims that Mary followed along behind them, never speaking, and then disappeared once again at the corner. My grandfather got the girl home and the girl's mother was there waiting for her. The mother claimed that Mary had stopped by the house and told her what had happened with her daughter's boyfriend and that she was safe and being escorted home by my grandfather. It seems everyone in town was aware of Mary and went along with this ghost woman walking around town talking to people in their minds. My grandfather said he left the girl's house and once again walked down Robert's Road alongside the cemetery with Mary by his side until she said goodbye on the corner. I asked my grandfather if he still sees her when we visit family in his hometown, but he says he doesn't see her anymore. He says he's too old to see her now and has lost the ability to see and speak to her. Some of my family members claim my grandfather is lying and his childhood experiences are all made up, but I have no reason not to believe him. They do, however, believe his stories of Bachelors Grove Cemetery. My grandfather says he never set foot inside the cemetery. It's overgrown now and you can no longer see it from the road. When my grandfather was in his 20s and 30s, he said you could see glowing lights walking through the woods at night. It was as if hundreds of ghosts with lanterns were walking single file through the woods behind the cemetery. Oh no. And then would disappear into thin air. No, 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 no. I'm glad that the end of the story. Good. I don't, I don't need to know any more about that other place. Oh. So what are your thoughts? Uh, Mary seems really nice. I kind of want to meet her. It's kind of mad. Like, it's such a, it's such an outrageous story that you really want to believe it because it's so outrageous. I do believe it. I just think it's too specific to just be made up. And I think there's something about kids being able to see things. We've said this loads of times, haven't yeah. we? And maybe it's just, that is just the case. And actually, you know, discount it at your peril. <laughs> I just wonder if, you know, you've got a group of kids who are walking past the same cemetery every day. They know the story of Mary. They know the story of of Resurrection Cemetery, blah, blah, blah. If they, not, I'm not saying they made it up, but they imagined this into, into being. But why, 
I'd say, and this is horrendously stereotypical, but if you've got a group of young boys, they're not creating ghost stories about a friendly ghost. That's a very good point. They're creating ghost stories about but, ghosts yeah, that absolutely. like fucking kill you. And absolutely, and they're trying to weird, they're trying to freak each other out. They're not going, oh look, let's make up a story about this woman that walks the length of the graveyard with us chatting. and tells us to have a nice day in yeah. school. I mean, that's like unless unless they are the sweetest group of boys in the world, which they might well be, and it's not maybe fair. they were. Yeah, it's not fair to just stereotype them in that way. But I know what I was like as a kid, and I'm not particularly like macho. But I know what I was like as a kid. They're not the kind of ghost stories that I'm creating. I might create them to calm myself down, <laughs> but they're not the ones I'm sharing with my mates. Yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. Do you know what I mean? I th- it just feels like, you know, it's, it's, if it's a collective thing, I just don't feel like that's the thing they'd be making up because it serves no purpose. Imagine being a group of kids going to school saying, oh, yeah, we walk past the cemetery and we've got this ghost that walks with us every day and says, have a nice day. Be, and then that's it. And then they'd all be individually shut in lockers. <laughs> like, I just can't see it. I can't see it being a thing. Like, I can't see it something, something that a group of boys in that very stereotypical way, which is wrong with me. I cannot see it being something that they would create. And I also think it was an era where boys were drilled to be boys. As in they were drilled to be the kind of stereotypical yeah. idea of masculinity. Yeah. And I think it's more likely in that area that they, they in that era, that they fulfil that stereotype yeah, I just probably. don't see it being something that they create for like I don't see it that's what makes me tr- intrigued by the story I think I love it I think it's a great story yeah and she sounds really she sounds really sweet <laughs> Resurrection Mary yeah. yeah she's just knocking on this woman's door being like I'm just don't worry about your daughter look I know I'm dead I know yeah. this is weird but she's had a fight with her boyfriend he's a dick but this really nice boy is walking her home don't worry mm. about it and, and, the, and the woman's like thanks for Resurrection Mary <laughs> yeah thanks for dropping by and you know what she floats off down the drive but that's that kind of acceptance sounds like the acceptance in ireland of a lot of these things doesn't it it does like without like is that just kind of this is real it happens she's a thing that's part of our community yeah cheers like and there's not really that many stories of her being terrifying i think i'm pretty sure ghost adventures have done an episode at this place i don't think um and i think it was one of the few episodes where zach didn't tell me it was a demon I don't think there's any hitchhiker stories really that I know of that are scary. I mean, that woman Ex- walking out in front of your car is scary. No, but I mean that are like, um, I mean, scary in terms of like threatening to the to the person. Except for that, except for the hitchhiker story in the first episode of Supernatural, in which case, you know, yeah. we all know Supernatural is based on real events. So it is based on urban legends, though. So yeah, it is, which I love. Yeah, which, that's why it's the first couple of series are really good. Well, I've had, there's, a, there's, a, there's some weight to it, I think. There is some weight to that story. That's what I'm going to say. Do you want some new reviews? Let's do this. As you know, as with stories, I read stories chronologically, and I also read reviews chronologically. What month there's are we always, for reviews? There's always got to be a bad one. This is uh, June 2019, okay. and this review is entitled, Where's the Actual Content? From Court Ray McKay, I think. I really did not select your podcast to hear you give no introduction, no structure and ramble for 10 minutes about a movie or TV show. I wanted ghost stories and I'm irked that your podcast is not to the point. Do not start off your episode with content unrelated to your episode. Start with housekeeping info about the podcast and then get right into what you title the episode. Save the rambling reviews for the end so that I can actually listen to what I came here for. That's fair 
point. Maybe we do need more structure. Next week we'll say, hello, welcome to Real Life Ghost Stories. This is a podcast with me and Emma where we read a story and then we talk about a film at some point and we're going to review that now. So if you don't want to listen to the film review, <laughs> please skip forward. Thanks. We'll do that every week and then she'll be able to listen. I'm ju- I just, I think it was a one star review. I don't remember. I didn't put the star number down, but I just feel like I'm sorry that our podcast annoyed you that much. There was a huge amount of annoyance coming from that review and I'm sorry we annoyed you that much, but the structure or lack thereof is not going to change. No, and there is a clear structure. We ramble and then we tell a story. And then we ramble in between stories. We ramble again at the end of stories. It's a structured ramble. Or it has a rambling structure. Oh, I think that's better. That's nice, isn't it? Rambling structure, yeah. Uh, Second review comes from Tronzy and it says stop what you're doing phenomenal podcast oh thanks I feel like I've searched through mounds of paranormal podcasts just to be left wanting more I was skeptical with this one as I once again pressed pressed play within minutes I was addicted Emma and Dan are like peanut butter and jelly the sandwich of comfort with a delicious mix of chortling and goosebumps that reminds me of sleepovers the stories are detailed and told by Emma whose Irish accent is rich and lovely thank you and I as a Texan with an equally rich southern accent am mesmerised. And then there's Dan. I absolutely love his input. But my favourite part is before each reading when Emma asks, are you ready? And Dan says, no. I literally smile every time because inevitably Emma just ploughs on through. <laughs> Best team ever. I totally need a shirt. I love them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and peanut butter and jelly is lovely. I've never had peanut butter and jelly because yeah, I don't I eat peanut, peanut butter. butter so... <laughs> And our next review comes from Jules underscore 905, new podcast. Hello, guys. Just wanted to say it's quite hard to find a great podcast as I drive 1500 kilometers a week. I love to listen to different things as I drive. I love how honest, funny and creepy your show is. Thanks for doing a super rad podcast with opinions that are real, exciting and honestly never boring. Rated five stars. Thank you. Unbelievable amount of distance to travel in a week. I know, mental. Also, very much appreciate the word, use of the word rad. Yes. And I just, I put in one more here randomly, apparently from JM Bauer, one, two, three. So great. I love these two. Their accents and personality are the best part. Stories are so entertaining. Truly love listening. They're best, the best stories and storytellers. Thank you so much. I know I'm taking the piss with the bad review, but like, I'm okay with bad reviews. Well, and I, I feel like that one was actually, you know. They had a point. They had a point and it wasn't to their liking and that's fine. We do ramble a lot. I hate the ones where just like. This is rubbish. No context. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, it's better It's better to have a bad review like, that actually I tells you why. understand why you don't like us. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, because... not for everybody. <laughs> I remember at the very beginning we had a review that was like, I really like this podcast, but... And they gave a really... I can't remember what the um, point of criticism was, but it made me change something that yeah. we were doing. Yeah. So, it, like, leaving a review that's that's, like critically honest few months of one star reviews Christ here we go and it's going to be like (laughs) these are all the reasons I dislike your podcast because you asked for it we would prefer like the little suggestions in emails would be nicer Um, unless you really hate us in which case that's fine Um, if you enjoyed this week's episode you can do you know I'm a bit bored of doing this whole spiel every week just going to put that out there okay so I'm going to I think I'm going to I think I'm going to streamline it Okay. If you enjoy this week's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter, you can send us your stories to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can find Dan on Instagram. Oh, hang on, you're doing the whole thing again now, having streamlined it. You've just told them we're on Instagram. Now yeah, but I, then I remembered I didn't give your handle for Instagram. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. We're trying to streamline it. It's not working. At 50p Movie Club. <laughs> you can find us on Patreon, where you can support us for either $5 or $2 a month. You can buy our merch. The link is in the description. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link is also in the description. Completely forgot we'd done that. (laughs) Yep. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.